Welcome to the Edge Podcast by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey guys, David Gill here bringing you the Edge Podcast. And today we're talking about content marketing. Uh, I'm going to do my best to put an end to all of the debate that goes with content marketing. First of all, like the main question is pe- that people ask is, is it effective? Or are other more hard sales methods better? People want to know, does content marketing really work? Does it work for everyone? And also, I want to talk about how much content is too much and how much is too little because no one can seem to agree. And it's kind of frustrating for me personally when I see people arguing about this and then you know I'm going to talk about a few other things like how to actually turn an audience into real conversions once you have them so anyways that's the quick preface let's get into it you ain't got no money I ain't got no time all these faces looking funny when I'm driving all right so right off the bat first up let's talk about how effective content marketing is is it worth it to become a mini media company if you're in it for the quick buck the you know you're, if you're the get rich quick type of person absolutely not you should definitely not become a mini media company if you're trying to make quick money it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of upfront work before you will see any results at all and just so everyone knows when i say content market i'm not talking about the old fashion like not old fashioned but like you know the four or five years ago when people were talking about content for like seo rankings i'm talking about content marketing as a source of Uh, you know, becoming kind of a media company, YouTube videos, Instagram, podcasts, like you're listening now, blog posts, all that, like bringing in an audience through content, not ranking your website with content. Anyways, let's get back to it. So no, if you were in it for the quick buck, I definitely would not do it. But if you want to build a real company with a substantial brand, then I don't think there's a better strategy out there long term. Content marketing really is a it's it's a brand building machine and in the long term there is just no better sales tactic than having a great brand and I'd like to find any successful founder CEO CMO or whoever that would like to refute that that a brand is better than any types of type of sales tactic. If you want a whole thorough explanation of that, by the way, uh, check out an episode we did titled Why Every Company Should Become a Media Company. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But uh, yeah, talked all about why uh, that is. But anyways, let's answer the question. I think most people do agree that it works, but then people don't know exactly how to go about it. So let's answer it. How much content should you create? How much is enough? How much is too much? What I found is the best answer is, first of all, there's no such thing as too much content. I mean, uh, let me explain. I think my, my answer is always as much content as you or your team can put out consistently while still holding a threshold of quality. And that threshold, so we're clear because quality is kind of dubious, it's, a, it's very subjective, 
to that threshold is the point at which you can still provide value. Now, value can be a lot of things. It, you know, value could be entertainment. Are you really funny? Or it could be utility. Like I try to do more utility because I, I don't think of myself as a natural entertainer, but I feel like I can bring marketing and tech insights that most other people don't have. That's our goal with this whole podcast, with our articles, with everything we do. We just want to bring you some learning value, some things you maybe don't normally think about and how to approach things like content marketing. You know, but it's really whatever you want to create. So like I said, we create mostly utility content, but you might be really funny. You might be running a uh, coffee company and you're just, you happen to also be a comedian on the side. Well, you should be making jokes all day long. Or if you're really good at making music, you should, you know, demo how to do it, show your background process, whatever, like do whatever you any way that you can provide value is what you should create and you should create as much value as you possibly can as much content as you possibly can while still being consistent and not you know if you say you're gonna do a daily vlog that's great but that's very hard to stick to that's why so few people are actually able to stick to it and so if you're gonna do a daily vlog you better be able to stick to it. Don't just say you're going to do a daily vlog and then only upload like two a week because you got busy, whatever. Well, then say, okay, I'm going to upload three times a week and that's it and put a cap on it until you can maybe hire someone else and streamline the process, whatever. And so once you decide what value you're bringing your audience, you're going to want to decide how much of what varieties to make. So for example, Ah, so I'll just use us as an example, right? So we have a pod, we have this podcast. The goal is three a week minimum, up to five. So three to five a week. We upload daily on Instagram. We have weekly YouTube videos once a week. We put out about three blog articles a week. We used to put out, you know, one, two, but I'm trying to up it to three now. Um, we have Alexa daily tech briefings. If you have an Amazon Alexa, by the way, you should definitely check it out. Most people are always saying, I don't know what to use my Alexa for. Uh, search MGR Edge, just like the title of this. We have a daily tech news briefing, so check that out. Anyways, so we do that. Um, we're releasing a Facebook Messenger bot. Actually, it should be out today already, so if you go to our Facebook page, it'll be in the show notes. And I'm not trying to self-promote. I'm just giving you examples. Um, we have a Messenger bot that's coming out. And listen, that's a lot of content, but between myself and my team, we do spend a good 40 hours a week or so just creating content and we're able to put out that much even though you know we do want to do much more i definitely want to create more uh, we're able to do that much because we feel comfortable that we're not losing quality at that quantity and we're still bringing value for the audience but if i tried to do a daily podcast like seven days a week i don't know if i could do it and still bring value because i try to give a lot of learning value, I guess you could say. But if I had to do it seven days a week, I don't know how many things I could talk about for seven days a week and be really insightful. The goal is for me personally is to be more insightful than you might get in other places. So if I did this seven days a week, I don't think I could keep up that quality and that value. But hey, if you can, you should definitely go for it because it's always better to have more content. And so I think people are confused by how much content is too much, right? Because a lot of people say, well, I don't want to spam my people. Well, 
clearly if you're spamming them then you've lost quality you've gone below the threshold of value so that's why i say as much as you can within a threshold of value so if you're a movie director you know that's one project every two or three years right those are major works but that's what they want to do you would not be able to put out your typical hundred million dollar blockbuster on a weekly basis but you could do a weekly vlog or three times a week or even every day right so you have to see how much value you can bring in consistently that's all it is if you're bringing a ton of value then you can do it as often as you see fit so hopefully you guys get the gist there and the final thing i want to touch on is once you've been at it for a while and you've actually you know started building up an audience after a few months or even you know a year whatever it takes a while uh once you start building up a, a bit of a following then you can slowly try to ease them into a sales funnel all content right all podcasts videos whatever you decide to do blog articles it's all top of the funnel top of the funnel awareness very broad it just builds awareness that's all it that's all it does it gets your logo in people's head your name in people's head but it doesn't you know it's not really converting but of course the ultimate goal is revenue that's what you probably care about at the end of the day and just so you know you will get business without having to actually sell anything you do even because even without selling the bigger your audience get the higher the likelihood the higher your chances that someone will just want or need what you sell and you've already built up that trust with them because they're a member of your audience so you don't actually have to sell them but of course you know you don't want to have to rely on that happening that's not super consistent so to start the sales process it's pretty simple i mean first just try to get their email that's i think the best thing that you can do or you know if they're listening to a podcast i'm big into podcasting for every client we advise but i think the best thing for podcasting is to try to get them to follow you on instagram or facebook as well as listen to your podcast so that they're kind of consuming your content on multiple platforms not just one and you know you can do giveaways or special offers or whatever on those platforms and, and also use that as a way of collecting emails and that can be a way that you can drive people right you can say hey guys just want to let you know if you follow us on instagram we do weekly giveaways or whatever or we give weekly discount codes for our product so you can get 50 percent off or even hey get it for free you know one person a week gets it for free whatever right and you, that's a way to one bring people to your instagram and then and get them to follow you there and then also once they try to sign up for the giveaway you're also collecting their email so it's it's pretty simple stuff nothing groundbreaking just don't you don't have to sell so hard you don't have to be going in like all right guys thanks for listening to this podcast now i want to tell you about the thousand dollar package deal that i have right that's not what i would recommend you do you might be able to do it but it's going to turn a lot of your audience off and i don't think it's worth it for the you know very little sales that it will actually bring in because long term you're going to be losing a lot of your audience if you keep just spamming them with your own products so just you know flow your audience through multiple channels once they're you know consistently following you on one channel just try to flow them into other channels very naturally don't force anything don't be super aggressive just so that they're following you in more than one place but the main reason that i tell people to get the email first or you know get them nowadays the messenger bot is really powerful too that's why we're making one um 
or have made one. But the main reason is because through email and through messenger bots, it builds a dialogue. It's not just one way. It's not them just watching your videos or reading your blogs or listening to your podcasts. They can actually interact with you and talk to you on an even level. And the other thing is that it shows that they're willing to let you take up space in their inbox, willing to let you take up space in their f- conversations with friends if it's a messenger bot. And that means they have a lot of trust in you. They see value in what you offer. So if they're willing to do that, that means that they're probably a decent candidate for actually wanting to buy your products. Then, you know, like I said, once you send them more value, once they subscribe to your email list, your first few emails should all be like still like, hey, like here's a quick tip or hey, did you know about this? Whatever, free promotions again. Once you do all of that, and you've built up this relationship, then you can finally go in for what everyone loves to do, the hard sell. But when you do it, just be clear and concise. Don't BS, don't beat around the bush. Just, I mean, they know who you are and what you do already if they're on your email list and they've been listening to your stuff. So just pop the question. It's as simple as that. You know, are you ready to give us money? Obviously ask it in a way that, you know, highlights what you sell, not so uh, aggressive and one-sided, but that's that's basically it. Like, hey, you know what we do. You know what we sell. Do you want to buy it? That's it. It's pretty simple, but you have to build up the trust first. And this is not an instant thing. Depending on the business, depending on the product, the service, this process could take a week, very unlikely. could take two years, but I'd say the average selling process once They've begun listening to your stuff, consuming your content, and then they subscribe to your email and follow you on Instagram or Facebook, whatever. Then over about a month period, then you know they really get to know you, then you can make the pitch. So I'd say the normal sales process, again, very much depends on the business. If you're, if you're Boeing and you're selling a 747, uh, ClickFunnel is not gonna work for you. A nice little landing page is not gonna work for you. You're gonna need to build up relationships over years. But if you're selling a, you know, a water bottle, it's like, okay, you don't need as big of a relationship with your customer. They know what you sell. It's basically, hey, do you wanna buy it? it I'm gonna give this analogy because I think everyone's familiar with it. It's like taking a girl on a date. On the first date, you don't try to hook up with them. You you build up trust. You build up a relationship with them over a month or however long you feel comfortable with, and then you uh, go for it. <laughs> you do whatever you want to do. It, it's, it's as simple as that. You're building a relationship with your customer, so you don't want to just first off the bat like, hey, you're a pretty girl. Do you want to go hook up? No, that's not what you're going to do. <laughs> that's not how it works. Think of it the same way with your customers. Build a relationship, build trust, then go in for the sell. Anyways, let's get into the news. It's time for the news. All right, so in the news today, Larry Page, the CEO and co-founder of Google, announced that his autonomous electric flying taxi company, it's called Kitty Hawk, that's right, like Kitten Kitty Hawk, uh, will begin public testing in New Zealand. Let me say that again, by the way, autonomous electric flying taxi, kind of wordy there, but very cool. I guess the government of New Zealand is cool with self-flying taxis because so far the U.S. government has given a resounding answer of no across the board, but 
you know, this is cool. The goal of these taxis is for the Goldilocks zone of travel, where it's too close for it for you to want to fly, but too far to drive. You know, for, I'll give you an example that I know, right? So I live in Phoenix. If I want to go to LA, which is the closest like major city, um, the flight, depending on who you fly with, whatever, it's going to cost like three to four hundred dollars. Obviously, it varies depending on how quickly you book all that. But three to four hundred bucks is about the round trip flight to there and back to L.A. Or I can do a six to seven hour drive, which if you count gas costs and then obviously the wear and tear in your car is going to cost about a hundred bucks for both ways. So the self-flying taxis would cost around maybe 200 to 50 for a trip like that making it worth it to fly because yeah you might spend like a hundred bucks more than driving but you're easily saving three hours each way you're saving six hours of time for a hundred bucks spent easily it could be even more but you're not having to pay you know as much as 400 for this short little flight that's you know it doesn't feel good when you pay that much to fly such a short distance so that's kind of the goal they're trying to make it for Lots of common travel between L.A., San Francisco, New York, D.C., or New York, Chicago. Well, that might be a little far, but you know what I mean. Like these shorter distances that aren't super, super far to where you could probably drive, but it's still kind of a very long, annoying drive. Or you could take a flight, but it's going to be really expensive for as short of a flight it is. So that's what they're trying to solve. Hopefully, it gets put in place because especially for like business travel travelers, this is pretty much a no-brainer because it's cheaper because they're not paying a pilot and co-pilot and it's electric, so no money for gas. But also, if the company doesn't want to pay 400 bucks for the person to fly, but they also don't want to have to pay them the seven hours of driving that it takes, well, then it makes sense to just t- put them on one of these taxis. So hopefully, all goes well in this testing, and it can come true or come into the U.S., because I would definitely be a passenger. The other major news story of the day is GM, General Motors, announced that they are opening a car sharing service to the public. They started Maven, the name of this service, about a year ago, and it's been in beta testing, but now anyone can do it. It's, you know, people, if you want to think about it, people are calling it the Airbnb of cars. Basically, if you know you're not going to need your car, then you can rent it out to someone else. So if you're going on vacation for a week and you're not going to have your car with you or if you have two cars right and you take one for the trip and leave the other one behind you can rent it out for a week and so you can your car can be making money for you they're paying for the gas the only thing that's costing you is the actual you know miles on the car but it's worth it because you're getting paid a lot more and you're not having to do any work you know it works the same really you know if 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 it's at night you get home from work it's like whatever like seven o'clock you get home you're not driving anymore and you know you're not going to need your car again till 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. the next morning, you can rent it out for 10 hours at night and people can drive it around. Now, obviously, there's some trust issues here. I'm sure not everyone's going to be willing to just give their car away for free, but people said the same thing about Airbnb. Who would want to live with a stranger or let a stranger stay in their house? I think I have a hunch that because it's basically free money, people are going to want to do it in the end. But the main thing that I want to say is that this is very smart by GM. GM is trying to position them, themselves for a world where 
fewer and fewer people buy cars because it just makes more financial sense to use Uber or a service like Maven. Now, we're not quite to the point where Uber is cheaper than uh, actually buying a car, but it's getting very close. Now, it saves a lot of time. It's just that it does cost more than owning a regular car by about, I believe it's 30-40% more. But with the advent of self-driving cars and services like Maven, you know, there is a very high likelihood that it will become cheaper to not own a car in the future. And I'm talking within maybe five years, it could be cheaper. And this is a rare case of a large, older corporation, a hundred-year-old corporation, actively trying to put themselves out of business before someone else does. I advocate for this a lot. It's really impressive to see a company like GM doing it. They know that someone else is going to do it. There's actually a couple startups out there that are trying to do this. So they're saying before, you know, the next Airbnb or Uber comes around and knocks us off our block, we're going to do it ourselves. I think this is a very smart move, but we'll have to see what happens. Obviously, this is something that's going to take time for people to even learn about and want to do and be willing to do and build trust that their car isn't going to be trashed or stolen or whatever. But, you know, this is kind of adding to the idiom that people refer to in the sharing economy where people like to say, Uber is the biggest taxi company in the world, but owns no taxis. Airbnb is the biggest you know, hospitality company in the world, and they don't own any hotels or any rooms. Now you're going to have Maven, the biggest rent-a-car company in the world that won't own any cars. Now, if you're Avis or Hertz or whatever, whatever rental car company, they're probably pretty scared right now. They need to be, they need to get on the ball and respond to this very quickly because they can find themselves as the taxis found themselves five years ago, where all of a sudden they're just out of business or significantly losing a lot of revenue. But we'll have to wait and see. Very interesting developments. Anyways, guys, thank you for listening. Hey guys, David here. I just wanted to personally thank you for listening to this podcast today. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, it would mean the world to me. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a positive review on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. It just means a lot to us. We're new. We're just getting started. So if you could help us out, that would be great. And also, we have been putting up some fire content on Instagram and on YouTube. So if you are not already following us or subscribed on Instagram and YouTube, then go to the show notes, click those links and follow us there. We are posting content daily. So be sure to check it out. Anyways, guys, thank you for listening and I will see you next time.